I'm basing my sermon this morning on Isaiah 64, which, as I said, is the election uh, Old Testament passage today. I'd encourage you to follow along. In my talk itself, in my sermon, I will reference certain verses so that you can see how the flow of the, uh, of the passage goes, and then I'll, uh, my sermon will be related to it. So on, in your pew Bible, Isaiah 64 is on page 742, 742. And you can follow along as I read if you wish, and uh, as I say, I'll, I'll stay fairly close to it and reference it in my talk. So, Isaiah 64, I invite you to listen for the Word of God. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him you come to the help of those who gladly do right and who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name, or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. And yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, O oh Lord. Do not remember our sins forever, or look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations that dwell within our hearts, may these be acceptable and pleasing to you and cause us to grow. In Christ's name, amen. Little sightings of God, of God's movement, of God's presence, they're so helpful, aren't they? In, in, uh, with our teens, we call them God sightings. When you just see these little traces of God's presence, it really does make a big difference. I want to tell you the story today of, of when Advent kind of began for me this year, the beginning of Advent. So I want you to imagine, and this is, uh, you need to use your imagination a little bit. I want you to imagine that I am in purgatory. Now I know we don't believe in purgatory, but we believe in the mall. And it's the same thing. So, uh, and, and you know, Purgatory is halfway between heaven and hell. So, I, and I'm in the kind of the southern regions of purgatory, the food court. And, um, and, and so there I'm sitting at the food court, the southern end of purgatory, and I'm drinking my Norma Jean, big black cup of coffee, and I'm watching. And what I'm seeing as I am there in purgatory is that everybody is pushing. 
There in the food court, I see people with trays of food, big piles of food, and they're pushing the food in their mouths, and no one, no one stops to say grace. There's no grace there at, in purgatory, in the mall. And people are pushing their carts, and pushing their strollers, and pushing their children to get in line a little closer to Santa Claus, and they're pushing to get their to-do lists done, and everybody's pushing, and there's no grace there in, in purgatory, in, in the mall, in the food court. So I want to take a look at Isaiah, and, and I want to look to see what's happening, because there I'm thinking, oh God, if you would only rend the mountains, and, or rend the heavens, and come down, you know, that would be so cool right there in, the food court, just, you know. So let's look at 64. Verses 1 and 2 and 3. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble like, like in the days of old, you know, in Mount Sinai. It's when fires set twigs ablaze. Come down and cause your name to be known. When this passage is being written, the children of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. They are stuck in captivity. Now let's get the historical setting set a little bit here. In captivity in Babylon, when they were stuck in Babylon, it was clearly a curse, but there was some blessing going on there too. So for example, when they were stuck in, in that captivity, they remembered with such clarity, they could remember that their homes were burned down there in, in Jerusalem, except the homes that they have up in Babylon are much nicer than the homes that they had in Jerusalem. And, and they remember when the temple was destroyed, utterly ruined, there in Jerusalem. Except the scholarship that's happening, the Bible scholarship that's happening up in, in Babylon in captivity, it's much better than any Bible scholarship that ever happened in Jerusalem. And they remember their businesses down there in, in Jerusalem, utterly destroyed. But the prosperity up in the north in Babylon in captivity, they're much more prosperous in captivity than they ever were. And so there's this kind of mixed blessing, this stuckness in Babylon. And they're thinking, ah, oh, if you would rend the heavens and show these Babylonians your presence. And I think we can all relate a little bit. We know what it's like to be stuck in some kind of captivity that you don't want to be in, whether it's a disease or a hardship or a relationship or some anxiety or some pain, stuck someplace where there might be some blessing, but it's a place you don't really want to be. And you think, oh God, if you would just rent the heavens, if you would just come down and show me and us your power, show the enemy your power, if you just rent the heavens and come down, like you did in days of old when you divided the Red Sea, when you divided the Jordan River, when you came down on that sacred mountain with lightning and thunder and, and gave your commandments. But, even though we don't see the heavens being rent, we still believe, come with me to verse 4. Since ancient of times, no one has heard, no ear, ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. We still believe. And we believe because we know. Not we've seen powerful things. We believe because there is only one God, and you are the only God. And we believe because you have revealed yourself to us. And that's why we study the book. Because if you haven't told us about yourself in here, we're just making stuff up. We believe because you've told us about yourself and we've studied the book and we know the fullness of your presence is revealed in Christ Jesus and we've looked at Christ Jesus. You've told us and we believe. Unlike 
in this captivity where people are just making stuff up about you. All these people in the purgatory, the mall, just pushing to try to come up with any kind of idea of God they want, a kind of designer God, a little bit of this, and that might suit our needs, and a little bit of that. It's kind of like they become lord of their own gods. Isn't that a twisted kind of thing? They design a god that might fit their needs, and, curiously, they have their daytime television prophets and prophetesses to back them up. You know, Ellen, Oprah, <laughs> saying over and over again, it's, it's, as long as you're happy, that's all that counts. As long as you are comfortable with what you're doing, that's all that really counts. As long as you are taking some you time. Just like Jesus. Wait, Jesus didn't say that. He said, uh, you need to deny yourself. Pick up the cross. You need to spend some God time, not you time. But it doesn't matter. You know, just as long as, and so they're backing up this silliness that's so prevalent. But we know, because we've studied this book, because we know our Lord Jesus, that since ancient of times, there has never been any other God. No ear has heard, no eye has seen any God except you, the one true God. We believe. We believe. And, let's go to the second part of verse 4, so 4b and 5. We know that for those who seek, you will show yourself. So look what it says in verse, the second part of verse 4 and verse 5. We know that you, Lord God, you act on behalf of those who, now these are the three R's, this is how to experience God. Right there in purgatory, you can experience God. This is what you need to do. You need to wait on God. In other words, you need to remain still, first R, remain still. You need to do what's right, act righteously, and you need to remember. So let's look at those three things so that we can experience the power of God. Not only believe with our heads, but know with our hearts. Experience God. Right there, wherever we are. The first thing, we remain still. Now that takes some practice, doesn't it? Especially in purgatory, or the mall, or the food court. Because in the food court, everybody's rushing around, people pushing food in their mouth, and pushing children, and pushing their carts, and pushing their bags, and everybody's pushing, and you get caught up in that rush. Remain still. That takes practice. You gotta do that at home first. You, you gotta get up in the morning and read the Psalms. Be still before the Lord. Before you go to bed. You've got to do that. That's why we come to church. That's why we go to Sunday school. To learn some ways to remain still before the Lord. And God will reveal himself to you and experience. We need to remain still. We need to do rightly. We need to act righteously. Which means, minimally, we need to keep the commandments. We look at the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. We need to honor our fathers and mothers. We need to not murder. We need to not commit adultery. Just don't do that. We need to not steal stuff. Just don't do that. We need to not slander. Don't be making stuff up about other people. We need to not covet our neighbor's stuff. Be content with what we have. And as we practice righteousness, as we remain still, as we, the third R, remain still, uh, um, practice righteousness, and remember. What's the opposite of remember? Dismember. It's true. We need to make sure we're not dismembered from God. 
Because if we become dismembered in all the rush with people pushing things into their face and pushing people around, if we become dismembered, then we forget. And if we forget, we forget the mighty deeds of God. And so we can stay close, intimate with God. No, God is present to us. But, let's go to verse 6 and 7. No one's listening. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are as filthy rags. You know what that means? Shriveled up. Verse 7. No one is listening. No one is listening. So there I am drinking my coffee and everybody's just pushing. They're pushing food in their mouth and they're pushing children. They're pushing their baggage and they're pushing their carts and everybody's pushing and nobody's listening. And so there as I'm so I'm sitting in, in purgatory. I, I'm, I'm looking around and I say, Lord, how cool would it be if you would just rend the heavens and come down? You know, like you did in days of old when you divided the Red Sea, when you divided the Jordan River. I mean, shake this place up. You know, how cool would that be? And then I hear a voice. Maybe I'm crazy. But it was that voice that just, things came apparent all at once. And the voice was angry. And the voice said, I have rent the heavens. I have come down. I came down and I divided the waters of the Red Sea and the people went through and they complained about the food. It's true. I, I came down and I came upon that sacred mountain with lightning and thunder and cloud and voice and... They created their own little God, and they did their perverted and twisted dance before their own God. I came down and separated the waters of the Jordan River, and the people went through the Jordan River, and as soon as they got there, they adapted the twisted and perverted ways of the Canaanites. I spoke with such clarity through the prophets, and nobody listened came down to that little town of Bethlehem. And they argued over the possibility of a virgin. I came down and I spoke with such clarity and the Sermon on the Mount, and they said, it's not practical. I died for their sins, and they said I was a loser. I rose again, and I defeated the power of death, and... They were too busy rushing around, pushing things in their face. I poured out my spirit on my church, and the people thought they were drunk. I shall come again, and nobody is going to miss that. And I am here, right here, now. And... there in the food court. And I'm watching everybody pushing. And there's no grace. And I'm drinking my large black Norma Jean. And I see three boys, maybe old high school, maybe young college. They're big. And, and they're loud. And they're laughing. And they got their oversized baseball caps on crooked. 
They get their jeans slung way too low. There's no question, boxers or briefs. <laughs> and, and they're carrying a, a tray piled with food like young men do. And, and they come by my table too close. And I'm feeling intimidated and frightened. And then they, they sit down. And I, I can't quite hear what they're saying, but I can watch them. And as if on cue, they all of them take off their oversized baseball caps and they bow their heads and there's silence. And I can see the one's mouth moving and there's prayer. And I thought, there's grace. And at that moment, Advent began. Grant us hearts of silence, minds that remember, a spirit that remains still before you, and a will to do what's right, that we might know your presence in the present. In Jesus' name, amen.